Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, the 2020 version, preseason. Good times going to be had by all. I'm not Adafino. Uh, with me today, you might have listened on Tuesday when it was me and Emery Hunt. Today, me and Eric Moody. What's up, man? You know, Nando, I am doing uh, fantastic, but uh, I will have to warn you, though. Uh, you know, my lawyer is very uh, prescriptive on which questions I can answer, but I just want to let you know. <laughs> Of course, I'm I'm obviously kidding, but, uh, you know, just given the circumstances that uh, everyone's dealing with, uh, you know, COVID-19, you know, things are surprisingly uh, good. You know, family's healthy, you know, been able to spend a ton of time together as a family, which has been great. But on the flip side, you know, I've also been able to create a ton of great fantasy football content this offseason. What about you, my friend? Uh, things are pretty good. I, I've been doing baseball mainly in the football off season, so I don't have the I don't have the luxury of basically a football off season at the at the moment. But uh, yeah, so far so good, man. Actually, you know, let's let's get into that real quick. You're obviously writing at the Athletic, um, mm-hmm. and if you want a forty percent off subscription, if you're listening to this show, uh, you know, if you actually if you go on the site, I think the the deals change a lot. Right now, it might be a thirty day trial, so this is probably a better deal if you're interested in all of the Athletic, theAthletic.com/slash fantasy podcast i want to say i'll get corrected in our chat if i'm wrong but let's just say the athletic.com slash fantasy podcast will get you 40 percent off a subscription to all the athletic um so moody's there obviously and he's he's writing for us every week and some really good stuff coming out and some really good stuff coming up um but also you're over four for four now right i love those guys you're, that's a, like a beautiful fit for you at four for four yeah it's uh you know always kind of you know, you make connections, you know, in the industry. So I've known TJ for a while, you know, TJ Hernandez, you know, just chatted on uh, on Twitter and, um, you know, the whole team over there, Paulson, you know, all those guys. And so just kind of reached out and said, hey, you know, you open for me to, uh, you know, contribute. You know, I was I kind of, I was really hungry for uh, to creating content. And, I, you know, I kept pinging you like every week, man. I was like, you know, when, when are we going to be able to, to get started? So I just had some ideas I want to share out there and, uh started writing for some things for fantasy data but uh yeah i was excited once i got the email from you where it's like hey we got the green light let's get it going so i was like i'm all in (laughs) and this is it it's going so uh let's jump in when we talked a little well actually hold on i want to i want to get uh people to get to know eric moody a little bit first um and then we're going to get into what we kind of conceptualize this first show so you can kind of you know get to know eric through his thoughts and his processes processes uh (laughs) building a better sleeper and in our, our initial call that we had on this, I think we both kind of landed on David Montgomery. So this show might be a little heavy on David Montgomery, but in a second. Uh, first, I, the, so Moody, you were, a, you were an offensive lineman in college. Like you've played the game. You understand a lot of this stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, played obviously in high school and uh, in college. Uh, mainly uh, guard and tackle uh, on the line. Absolutely. Um, so, you, I mean, you'd be kind of surprised reading what you write. It's very, like, deeply analytical and like stuff, a lot of people like I can see the back end numbers, and they're incredible for you in terms of you know that that little awesome button that people can click on the bottom, like it's sky high. Mm-hmm. And usually, you know, you, you see someone who's played uh, in college and high school throughout your whole life, and you don't get the analytics side of it. You kind of get you know more of the the kind of I guess the, the I don't know the bones of it all. You know, the bones of the game, the I played in the game. So how, how did you kind of figure out like oh the, this analytics path is my way to go? It's not like me saying, you know, I played OL and this is what I'm looking for, which there's an element of that, but like to, to get really deeply into analytics on a level that I like don't even know where to look for half the stuff you're quoting. Um, how, how, did, how did that happen? What was the, what was the path? Yeah, I, I think the, the key path that kind of took me down that road was, you know, obviously playing the game and kind of knowing the X's and O's, uh, something I'm passionate about, but uh, I've always worked like in the uh, financial services industry uh, as well. So I always kind of think about playing the piano with both hands. Like you can play really good music with one hand, but if you're playing it with both, I'm like, you can really create some, uh, some wonderful arrangements. And so I always thought about, you know, you've got the film side of things. Everyone's breaking it down. You know, everyone has like their opinion on what a player can and cannot do. But with the analytics, I'm like, it helps you kind of quantify that. And so you think about uh, like, with, like with stocks and investments, you know, you've got like the fundamental analysts that are saying XYZ company's great because they got this balance sheet, they got this, they've got that, and they'll go through the rundown. What I always loved about technical analysis, it lets you know when is the, the right moment and opportunity to buy that stock or that company or to sell that company or stock, et cetera. 
everything. So I always try to play the piano with both hands, you know, with the film analysis, looking at the player, using my eyeballs, so to speak, but then it kind of confirms some things with the analytics. I like that. All right. That actually makes a lot of sense, which I think is what makes you good here. So, (laughs) uh, Moody, uh, what's your favorite food to cook? You know, I, I do actually like to cook a lot. I do uh, uh, probably say a high percentage of the cooking, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, with the family. So, you know, I love to love to smoke meats. You know, what what red blooded male does not? Well, you're so, in Texas, uh, you're you know, Texas on top of that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So if you're not smoking meat, then people are like, you know, what's wrong with you, man? But uh, yeah, I would say, uh, you know, smoke meats, you know, uh, you know, pork, uh, you know, brisket. Uh, but I, I really do like to uh, like to eat healthy. So, you know, I do a lot of things like with fish, you know, and, and chicken and, uh, you know, things like that. So I would say probably my favorite type of food, if you're going to ask just the type, I would end up being Italian food, actually. All right. Nice. You know what? I'm going to sprinkle more of these. I got a list. I'll sprinkle them throughout. Let's get into some football stuff so people don't go. feel like this is just going to be like, what's your favorite Saturday morning cartoon? <laughs> Which is the next one. Okay. Uh, so building a better sleeper. Um, Let's let's just start with David Montgomery because I like you and I like him and I, I think he's super underrated. I feel like, and I don't know if you think the same thing. People don't have very long memories in fantasy football. Like everybody loved David Montgomery last year, and everybody loved the offensive system the Bears were going to run. Uh, and now it's just like he's. It's not even like people hate him and they're pushing him down. It's almost like they've forgotten about him. Um, so let's start with that. Like what. What is it about David Montgomery that drew you to him as as one of your sleepers? Well, I know one thing I always look at, first of all, is uh, like the ADP. You know, that really gives you some insight into kind of what fantasy, you know, players or like their perception like of a player. And so, uh, you know, he's, he's a fascinating one because I'm like, he's dirt cheap. I'm like, and, and a lot cheap. of, yeah, a lot of folks in fantasy, it's like the equivalent of like, you know, I'm going to drive my car down the road, but I'm going to look through the rear view mirror and not, not straight ahead. I'm like, <laughs> that's the, that's the image that I have in my mind. But you look at Montgomery, I'm like, he had a lot of opportunities last year, you know, 17.3 opportunities per game. He was disappointing, like in the fantasy uh, points per game department, you know, like in PPR. It was you know nearly 11 points per game, and and to be candid, like he really wasn't effective. I'm like if you look at some of these metrics, uh, like fantasy points over expectation, you know relative to his expected points, like it was negative. I'm like it it did not bode well uh, when you compare him to like Josh Jacobs and some of the other rookies. But you know there's always opportunity and chaos. So one thing with Montgomery, and this kind of ties back to what I was saying with playing the piano with both hands. Like on film, one thing that I like about him is that. I'm like, he was, he was, he was above average in terms of like breaking tackles. I'm like, if you look at sports info solutions, I'm like, he ranked 10th in broken tackles, you know, behind a, a struggling bears, like offensive line. Now Chicago on the other end, they're going to attempt to revive their running game uh, and offensive line with the addition of a longtime offensive line coach, Juan Castillo. Guy's yeah. got 24 years of NFL coaching experience with three different teams on both sides of the ball, primarily the offensive line. Coaching is important because they can make some changes to the blocking scheme to uh, cover some blind spots, we'll say, to, to have that offensive line performing better. So Montgomery did have some positives. You look at his rookie season, ninth Bears rookie to exceed 1,000 yards from scrimmage in a rookie season. Like his rushing yards that he had in touchdowns were second in the NFL behind Josh Jacobs. I'm like, you look at their schedule. I'm like, I know strength of schedule isn't the end-all, be-all. It is something I consider, but it's one metric or four for four that I like that's called schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed. And that metric is, uh, is really good. It combined, uh, combines a lot of different things, but the Bears have a really good schedule for running backs. And so it's tough for me, and it may be the same for you, Nando, to completely ignore a running back like Montgomery and drafts, you know, given the volume that he has. But I think the stars are really aligning for the 23, uh, 23-year-old running back that we have a breakout second season. I think that's the bottom line for me. We even left out, like, the talent. You know what I mean? Like, we, address, mm-hmm. I think we're assuming that he has the talent. So many people were all over him mm-hmm. last year. Yeah. And that's what bothers me. Like, the people who just kind of disappeared, they were just, like, bleeding. Like, with a Tino bleating about David Montgomery mm-hmm. and how awesome he's going to be. And now they're like, oh, ho-hum, on to the next thing. But they haven't looked into this stuff. Yeah, it's uh, you, you go back to the talent, I'm like um, – I know Emory, because I listened to the pod uh, that Emory was on, and, and all the ones this week, you know, with Jake and the rest of the team. It's like, I'm like, all of these guys that get to the NFL, and like you said, I played the game. I, I know it's tough. My my skill set is, is nowhere near the offensive line <laughs> in the NFL, and I, even with some of the guys I played with. So, But uh, to get to that level, I'm like, all of these guys have 
talent and can succeed if given the right opportunity and the right scheme. And so Montgomery fits that bill as well. And you know, there's something you mentioned in the Montgomery analysis that I'm going to take us off track immediately. That's fine. Um, and, and it's it, what I found in my research. Like I love looking at offensive coaching staffs and who has kind of gone places and who's new and like what kind of schemes. And it's not just the offensive coordinator and what he brings. Um, I think Cleveland has Bill Callahan as their offensive line coach. And I, like mm-hmm. you look at Bill Callahan's history, he's awesome. Like he's really he's done a lot of good things. Maybe not especially as a head coach, but where he's been, especially an offensive line coach. Where yeah. I look at Jacksonville that has, you know, Jay Gruden obviously is the offensive coordinator, but, um, oh man, they ha- uh, Ben McAdoo is their quarterback's coach. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you put these things together and you're like, well, that makes, you know, like, this is a, this is a guy who knows how to coach an offense and has done a lot of stuff with tight ends, so that makes me like Tyler Eifert. And then this quarterback's coach did great things before he became like this kind of like this joke for the Giants, but if you could dig a little deeper, Ben McAdoo can do some great things with Gardner Minshew. Oh, and yeah. that's how I start picking my guys. Like I, I do, I think maybe similar to you, like you look at these good coaches are in good spots and you know, maybe the consensus is they were kind of dummies as head coaches unfairly and they could really make a change. Yeah. The coaching, coaching staff is, uh, is key. I'm like the assistants really, really make the car go forward, so to speak. If you have really good assistance, I'm like, that's, that's half the battle right there. I'm like, you mentioned a, a lot of great coaches and a lot of great offensive line coaches out there uh, for where if they're, if they have the, the talent, like on the team, they can make things happen. No doubt. Uh, Eric Moody, favorite Sunday morning, cart- uh, Saturday morning cartoon growing up. You know what? I, I was, a, I was a Transformers guy. You know, I, I grew up like in the eighties. That's an afternoon cartoon, but I'll accept it. I, I, I thought that was on Saturday. Was it? I, I always remember it after school. Yeah, I can't remember. I know that. You know, I think I think a He-Man. You know, GI Joe. You know, all, all those things on Saturday morning. You know, you, you get your bowl of cereal. You wake up at like five a.m. You're in front of the TV. And my kid's missing out, man. He's missing out. Well, you could just pop it up on the internet, though. Ah, uh, no, Netflix. It's not the same. You have to it's wait for the, the TV commercials, all that stuff. My kid's like, "What? What are these? These are commercials, son. These are commercials. Were half the fun. That's where I got most I, of my exactly. toys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, back to football. All right. I, so we also have another guy we love uh, in Terry McLaurin, um, and I like I. I guess he's going in an okay place. I've seen him go, you know, third, fourth round, um, but I, like I feel like he's going to finish the season where people are saying next year he should be a slam dunk second, third rounder. I just, I like, I, the sky's the limit for He just reminds me of Terrell Owens, basically like the way he just physically gets his way in there, catches everything that's thrown to him, uh, is open. Even when he's not open, he's just like holding on to the ball. Like I really, really like the eyeball test on Terry McLaurin worked for me. And I know the stats actually kind of back it up, which is kind of nice. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you, Nando. Uh, and this is a guy when I was, you know, writing about for different articles. And I was just like, I, I, I really like the guy. I'm like, you mentioned uh, a ton of things like on film, you know, he passes the eye test, but I'm like, you look at his ADP too. And, and on that article that I did, like for uh, the athletic, you know, the ultimate, uh, you know, draft guide. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, he was some, he was a player, like he ended up on a ton of teams, you know, that I mock drafted. I was like, his ADP is like ridiculous. You're getting a guy that has top 10 potential, you know, fantasy wide receiver, like in the fourth round sometimes right. like the fifth round. But when you look at a lot of the analytics, I'm like, he was, he was really one of the few bright spots in a dysfunctional Washington offense. I'm like, you think of how much of a dumpster fire that Washington was last year. You know, they ranked 31st in total yards, 30 seconds in points per game. I'm like, McLaurin also had to, to deal with a, an app offensive coordinator and Kevin O'Connor and multiple starting quarterbacks. But in spite of this... And he was hurt. And wasn't he hurt? for he had a, Was it a hamstring yeah. or a calf or something? Some leg thing. Yeah. And so yeah. he was able to to persevere that I'm like what's great I'm like you got a guy that you know average you know 6.6 targets you know a little bit over four receptions 65 receiving yards 93 air yards and about a half a touchdown per game last year I'm like he finishes a wide receiver two or better in 43 percent of his games in PPR format so again kind of going back to my uh play the piano with both hands let's look into see what the analytics and the advanced metrics tell us um one thing that's interesting we look at the guy's true catch rate can you do a quick glossary on some of these things? Like what's true catch rate for people who are listening who, uh, who don't know? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's a metric that's through uh, like Player Profiler. And it's other websites that have something that's similar. Uh, if you look at like Pro Football Focus, you know, and others. But that basically divides uh, total receptions by total catchable targets. 
Nice. You think about the quality of uh, quarterbacks, kind of using that quotation fingers, uh, that was throwing this guy the football. I'm like, he had a true catch rate of 78.4%. Uh, something else I always like to look at is uh, contested targets. You know, are we looking at a guy that's going to come down with the football? And if you look at McLaurin, I'm like, he had 94 targets last year, 19 of which were contested. His success rate on those was 68.4%. Is that good? Is that generally a good number? Is that impressive or is that like right in the middle or? Yeah, uh, I would say it's, uh, it, it is impressive. It's not at the, at the top tier, but I think the biggest issue is that it, it's, it's a lot of other that people would view as like stud receivers that just don't have a ton of contested targets. They got a better quarterback. What I look at like with a guy like Lauren is that it's important because of the, the quarterback play, <laughs> you know, that right. he's dealing with. So I was like, you know, this guy has, you know, garbage that's throwing him the football, is he still able to make things happen? Nice. Yeah. And so uh, I'd say some other things that, um, that you know, our subscribers at The Athletic and those listening to the pod can, uh, can factor in is uh, something else I look at is, is, is yards uh, per route run. I know that's with a uh, pro football focus. That's really a way to quantify, you know, how successful a player is given the number of routes that they run, you know, relative to their receiving yards. I'm like, you finish 18th, uh, which is good. I'll dive a little bit deeper, and, and Nando, I promise I'll take us out of this rabbit hole. I promise. No, man, you. I love this. is This is the whole point. Is that this should be called the rabbit hole? Like this is what this is what it should be. <laughs> All right, so we'll we'll go down deeper. So something else I look at, and this kind of goes to you know playing the game, and, and I know these are things too that Emory and, and others look at as well. Is uh, what I'm just curious about is like how much of a cushion are defenders giving like a receiver? So I'm like, McLaurin had an average cushion of a little bit over four yards. And that's another metric that you can uh, find like on player profile. They've got a ton of great stuff. And um, you just want to think the number of yards afforded to the receiver by his, uh, excuse me, by his assigned defender on each route run. I'm like, I look at his cushion. And I'm like, you know what? I'm like, this cushion is eerily similar to guys like Julio Jones, Amari Cooper, and Mike Evans. Uh, but another thing too, that which is key with McLaurin is that Look at how the receiver is separating. So is cushion something that a, a receiver creates for himself? And I know you're actually, it's tied into separation, separation of line of scrimmage and separation at time mm-hmm. of catch. But is yeah. cushion something that's like um, he's taking advantage of the defenses that are playing him and they're finding him open? Or is cushion something that he's so good at like pivoting and, and going off in a slant or, you know, like taking a turn and shaking the defender? Is that is that what cushion measures? Is it because you named other talented guys there who get open basically? Yeah, like with Cushion, it's uh, like where that defender, when they're up to the line of scrimmage, where they're getting ready to run the play offensively, I'm like how much space or how big of a gap, I guess you could say, is there from the receiver and the defender? Okay. And so I look at that, I'm like, hey, they, they respect the guy. They're like, hey, this is a guy that can, that can damage us yeah. uh, as a defense. So, hey, we want to have, uh, have some space that's there. But I'm like um, – I know when you look at McLaurin's like separation, I'm like his average yards of separation last season ranked uh, 34th amongst receivers. And so that's a metric just to dive a little bit deeper for everyone that that's going to calculate a receiver's average yards of separation distance from the closest defender back at the moment the, the pass target arrives. So just to translate that, uh, I just want to communicate what that means. What that tells me is that McLaurin is catching balls in tighter windows than most receivers. Nice. And so I was like, I, I, I love that. So just to kind of bring all this together and get us out of the rabbit hole, of course, Nando. I, I don't agree with uh, that, but fine. So, so the great news with Washington is that they got an entirely new uh, coaching staff head into the season. They've got Haskins, which I agree, again, with a ton of Emory's comments that he had uh, about Haskins. He's one of the guys, the late quarterbacks that I like. Uh, He fits that mold of a traditional pocket passer, but like as Emory mentioned, like his mental toughness is uh, off the charts. He didn't have a great rookie season, but did show flashes late, uh, which is key. But one thing with Haskins and McLaurin, I'm like, they have rapport going all the way back to their days at Ohio State. I'll leave you with this. Pro football focus, the duo combined for a rating of 153.8, you know, the quarterback rating. So here's what I have to tell everybody. I'm like, you should not leave your draft uh, without getting McLaurin at his ADP. I'm like, you're looking at a guy that could be like your second or third receiver based on how you want to build your team that has the potential to finish as a top 10 guy. That, that could, he could be a league winner in my opinion. I agree, man. Like that's like, and it's, it's, we're calling a guy a sleeper kind of early, but that's what he is. Like it's not, he's not getting like that extra 30% of respect that he should be getting. 
basically. That's all I Exactly. It's funny because everyone, uh, I think everyone defines like the word like sleeper, like so, so differently. And so the way I like to look at it is I I want a guy who has a a really, I I think a really positive like range of outcomes. Like McLaurin is one of those guys and I'm looking for guys that can outperform, you know, their, their ADP. And that could be like a league winner. If you build a team of, of enough of guys like that, I'm like, your, your competition in your league is going to look and like, my goodness, you know, John Doe or Jane Doe's built like a juggernaut here. I do not want to play that team this week, but they're on my schedule. And, right. and you're just blowing, you're blowing people out. And so I, I'd rather play for ceiling and not for floor. Uh, I guess I'll kind of echo, you know, like with, uh, you know, Jake Seeley, you know, hey, I want to be all in. I want to make it happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Inherit all the risk. Exactly. How many starting lineups do you own? Oh, how many uh, starting lineups? Yeah. Uh, you're talking about the uh, the, the kind of sports figures back in the day? Yeah, man, those little awesome figures. Wow, you're really bringing me back, man. I, gosh, I don't even – I used to have a lot of those things. I had to figure out where those things are at. They're probably like in storage with uh, you know some of my parents' uh, belongings. Yeah. But I, uh, I had a lot of basketball ones. I was really big into basketball growing up, so I could have easily had about – Fifty of those things. I have some wow, football nice. ones too, but yeah, yeah, yeah I used to I, love uh, those things. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm up ho- back in my my parents' home for the the quarantine, and yeah. uh, and man, like you're gonna get a lot of nostalgia questions. I'm basically just thinking like we're about the same age. Like I know, like I'm going through my closet. I'm like, all right, here's all my He-Man stuff. Here's all my GI Joe stuff. Here's like here are my <laughs> starting lineups that I randomly have and looked oh, yeah. up, and they're all not worth anything. But whatever. You know, it was hey, it was the fun of good. collecting. No, exactly. Um, Another guy we both agree on, and I like. So here's something interesting, and not to make this about me, but I think this frames the question nicely. No, is go ahead. um, in the 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 flex league run by Jake Seeley, I'm in the best ball, um, so it's a slow mm-hmm. draft, and I think for the first seven rounds, maybe eight rounds, I'm not doing this on purpose. It's just kind of how it played out. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't taken a wide receiver because in all my drafts this year, and even looking at the list that you sent for the show today. These guys, like, there's so many wide receivers you can get after round eight, mm-hmm. uh, especially in a PPR league. You know, like um, Cole Beasley and D.D. Westbrook had 100 targets last year, and they're going mm-hmm. very late. Um, yeah. Golden Tate, I love going late. But my first wide receiver was Henry Ruggs. And I don't know why he's so, like, everyone wants to go gaga over these rookies. And I really think it's like people, th- they think this is the old Raiders. Like, they think this is the Darius Hay- You see Henry Ruggs. Super fast, and everyone thinks Darius Hayward Bay. It's just another Raiders mistake. And that is like Henry Ruggs is a very good, very complete football player who can do some damage and should not be going this late, right? Like this is crazy to me. Like my number one wide receiver should not be Henry Ruggs, right? Like that's that's a wrong way for things to play out in a draft of this caliber, if you agree. And that's one of those things, you know, you, you think about uh, like perception, like people will see a team, you know, and they'll, they'll break it down. They're just like, oh, I don't know why so-and-so had, you know, player ABC or XYZ, you know, is their number one or their RB1. But I'm like, it's, it's one of those things you think about like potential. Like I talk about, you know, let's, let's drive looking ahead and not do the rearview mirror. So I'm like, it, it's not ideal like on paper, but I could see, you know, why you would, why you would go that way. And I think I can build a case on why. All right. You up for that, Nanda? Oh, please, man, please. All right. So, uh, okay. So it's funny. I know we were kind of emailing back and forth and, you know, I'm, I'm a Bama guy, <laughs> you know, have, have always been a Bama guy. And so, you know, I was kind of looking like, I was like, oh my goodness. I'm like, he's got a sentence where he's got Henry Ruggs and like Darius Hayward Bay, like in the, and, 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 no, no, we're not doing that. But it's, uh, I, I, I get the comparison. So it should I'm not saying, the- I'm not saying he should be. I think that's what people are being turned off because oh, yeah. they're, they're equating a, a, a super fast guy being taken early by the Raiders with a super fast guy being taken early by the Raiders. And they're two totally different situations. Oh that's yeah. What, no. That's what I think is going on in people's heads. Why they don't like Henry Ruggs. Yeah, no, you, I'm right there with you. You know, like with Mike Mayock and then with Gruden where, you know, it's easy to make the comparisons where they're like, Ooh, this guy had the fastest 40 yard dash at the combine. We're right. getting that guy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so, um, what was funny, you know, you look at Twitter and people talking during the draft. I'm like, they're like, okay, so that duo in Las Vegas, they overlooked uh, receivers, we'll say, with a more comprehensive college career like C.D. CD Lamb and Justin Jefferson or Jerry Judy. You know, the good news for both of us is that Ruggs is a lot more than just a 40 time. 
you know, I, I love the guy. I think he projects with a very good starting receiver at the NFL. I'm like, always look for guys like that at receiver who I would say have an uncanny ability to work off of uh, other routes and like occupy deep defenders, like with their play speed. Uh, you look at Ruggs. Uh, he ranks third on Alabama's career touchdowns list, uh, receptions list, excuse me. Uh, he's got 24. You got Jerry Judy, who's got 26. Amari Cooper's got 31. You know, those are the only Crimson Tide guys that have more. Um, average a monster number of, uh, or excuse me, of yards per reception, you know, 17.5, you know, for Rubs across his three seasons, uh, which ranks actually six in school history. And the minimum there is about 50 receptions. You know, he's just underrated because I'm like, they're looking, they're like, oh man, Rubs, he's only has, uh, 86 receptions for, you know, nearly, you know, 1500 receiving yards over the last two seasons. You know, who wants that? The reality is, I'm like, you know, Rubs accomplished more with those numbers on an Alabama offense. You know, that had guys like Judy, Devontae Smith, and uh, Jalen Waddle. I think the biggest area of opportunity that Ruggs can uh, positively impact uh, in Las Vegas, I, I keep having to condition myself from saying like Oakland. So if, 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 if I <laughs> yeah, let Oakland uh, yeah. flip out, please forgive me. <laughs> so, I would say the, uh, the biggest area of opportunity for, uh, for Ruggs uh, with the Raiders is downfield passing. Derek Carr is another guy that I'm really high on who has, like, top 10 potential, in my opinion, for fantasy, who's, like, dirt cheap. But I know Derek Carr ranked 25th in pass attempts, uh, greater than 20 yards, with 47 attempts, uh, and only completed about 36% of them. The thing with, like, Derek Carr and the Raiders' offense that people forget is that they were, they were going into the season with Antonio Brown as, like, yes, the number one. everyone forgets that. Thank you. Yes. Everyone forgets that. Drives me crazy. I'm like, you know, hey, they, they were going in saying, hey, we're going to get these guys, but, you know, we, we're going to have Antonio Brown as our guy. And we're not going to go off on a tangent about, you know, his uh, unhinged personality, we'll say. But I think people are forgetting that when it comes to Derek Carr and also, uh, you know, with the Raiders. I'm like, Derek Carr is like dirt cheap. He's essentially free like in drafts. I'm like, that's another guy I would recommend everyone uh, go get whether you, you, you want to play late round QB and have him as the QB one or pair him with another quarterback as a committee action i'm like you know these are two guys that you can even stack together too that are going to make big things happen yeah yeah it's it's like and you got to think with them picking uh with them picking rugs like that's that's exactly what you said like that is the antonio brown element that they were missing last year that should maybe make everything click like that's Mm -hmm. the piece that comes in there and then it goes kaboom you know like it's it's crazy people like, like, like that's what i'm saying like how how are you not thinking this when you're like, when you're, I don't know. Anyway, it's uh, This isn't meant to be the complaining show. Um, <laughs> by the way, Eric, so like, I remember last year, uh, one of the first columns you did, and I guess I probably should have looked this up before the show. Cause I can't remember it now, but you pulled um, these stats and these graphs from a site that went back and looked at college stats. Uh, I think it was player profile. Was it player profiler? I forget the name of it. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, I was looking at a uh, uh, college uh, dominated ranking or rating. That was it. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Is it, so when we're looking at someone like Ruggs, uh, who obviously has no NFL experience, like how big of a deal is it going back to something like that? Like the to to just like I mean, it can't play the biggest role. It's college. Every system's different. You know, the, it's not like a minor leagues for pros where they're playing in the same systems and things. But yeah. how big of a deal is it for you to go back and and kind of you know look at whatever tape scouting notes versus just what they did in college and that dominator ranking. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's useful, but, uh, I think what some in the industry do is they, they, they take some of these stats and then they, they, they kind of make it like the, the end all be all. And I'm, I mean, if you look at a guy like, uh, like rugs, I'm like, uh, looking at his uh, college dominator ranking. Uh, let me just confirm real quick on kind of what that, what that was. And so his college dominator ranking was only, you know, seven, 17.5%. Uh, percent. Which, if you were just going to go off of off of that alone, I'm like, you're not really impressed by that. But I'm like, you got to look at the circumstances too on kind of what led to his production in Alabama over the last two years. And so again, it's not the end all be all, but I think when you look at Rugs, you know, his college body of work, the opportunity that he has with the Raiders, and and they're it, it, at least on paper and from what I've heard and read, you know, it, it sounds like you know they're going to put him in a position to be successful. And so those are some things that, that I look at. I almost think of it this way, Nando, for where, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm like a sales guy. You know, marketing has always been like uh, my background. Like I had to take two college courses 
focuses on like professional selling where you're, 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 you're like being videotaped and it's like a role play. So that, that's, that's my thing. And so I always look at it like, how am I selling like the public or people listening to this podcast or in my articles on why they should take this guy? And so I always like to look at that complete body of work and piece everything together in a compelling argument to get you to my side of the table. And so if someone comes to me and, you know, no one said this, like in the comments, you know, all, all the people that comment on my articles about The Athletic are, are really great. They've been very nice. Yeah. This yeah. Is, I, I yeah. love you guys. And so it's uh, if someone did come to me with that argument, I'm like, that's what I, w- I would bring different factors together uh, because it just can't be the end all be all. You really have to have like a plethora, I'd say, of a lot of different metrics and bring those together to kind of help build build your case. I'm going down the rabbit hole slightly again. I'll, I'll get us out. Is uh, apologizing look, for that, man. Uh, it's like you uh, you look at um, you look at re- look at like receivers. So what I, I look for there is uh, the college dominator dominator uh, rating is 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 helpful. Uh, but I look at like the offenses that they were uh, a part of. Like Rugs is a great example. But one thing when they get to the pros, which is key, is uh, is really like the targets. Uh, I always look at vacated targets, you know, how many are available, you know, vacated uh, air yards, you know, is the opportunities going to be there? Because if you look at like stats that are really predictive, it really just comes down to the targets. It's no need to uh, overcomplicate things with saying, you know, yards per route run is something else that's kind of a volume based metric that's, uh, that's really predictive. But, you know, yards per reception, you know, eh, you know, it is what it is, not really predictive. Uh, anything that's um, kind of looking at, um, you know, like yards, uh, yards per target and some of these other uh, like efficiency type metrics. I'm like, those things are useful, but it really comes down to the volume. I think when you combine those two things together, if you see a guy that's getting the volume, uh, okay, that's great. He's got the volume. What can he do with that volume is, is also important. Same thing applies like for running backs and tight ends. It's all about is that person getting the volume? How effective are they with the volume? Now, if you find a guy that's just like really explosive, like, you know, hey, this guy's got all these breakaway runs. He's got more than we'll pick on David Montgomery. <laughs> you know, we'll pick on him. You know, he's not really explosive. I'm like, that's okay. I'm like, guys can still be productive if, if they aren't as explosive. They just may need a little bit more volume to, to make that happen. I know we're enamored and fascinated, you know, by the, by the big play. I'm like, you know, who isn't? But I'm like, a guy can still be successful. I'm like, if he's grinding it out, you know, whether he's a wide receiver, running back, you know, or tight end. And so I think we kind of get too wrapped around, uh, wrapped around that. So, again, kind of going back to rugs, it's, uh, you know, the college dominated ranking isn't there. But don't let that deter you from taking a guy like that or someone who has a similar profile, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, you know, going off that, um, on, the, on the list that you sent of the players that, you know, you, you like – uh, I assume this is what you like. Actually, you said I'd like to chat about, but I, <laughs> maybe there's some you don't. There, there are a lot of rookies in here. You had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, uh, Joshua Kelly, and Keyshawn Vaughn. Um, and then a couple second-year mm-hmm. guys, Devin Singletary in there. Michael Salfino actually wrote a good story about how um, mm-hmm. you know we're not going to have preseason games, but like this should not deter you from taking rookies because you know they're still going to be in camps. And also, this happened before. There's a there's precedent for it in. Um, 2011, I think there was a, or maybe it was 05. I'm getting my columns yeah. confused. There was a year mm-hmm. where the preseason was totally cut short. Uh, the rookies didn't have their deals, but they like they came in and the numbers they put up were made, they were pretty consistent with what rookies had done every other year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what's your take on that? Don't feel like you have to agree with Salfino, but like, are you discounting any at all because of the lack of preseason games, or is it like they're still doing camps, they're still playing and meshing, like you know this there's no reason to kind of hate on them. And maybe there's a way to, to work some value out of this with people who might think they're being hurt by not having preseason games. Yeah. I, I don't uh I think that the practice time is, uh, is, is important to me. It's like, I just think more of like preseason and, and those games and whatnot is, is really more for the public. But I'm like, if you've got guys that are getting reps, uh, whether it's mentally, like on Zoom calls, going through the playbook, I'm like, that helps because if they know what they need to do mentally, I'm like, I'm like these are world-class athletes. Their body's going to do what, what their body needs to do. And so I, I think it's more of an advantage more so than a detriment. But again, using like the Sun Tzu quote, it's like there's always opportunity in chaos. And that's for where we can leverage that in uh, like in fantasy uh, one running back came to mind and the more that I've, I've watched this individual and kind of dove deeper into his body of work, I, I really like quite a bit and love him at his ADP. 
uh, especially the like Cam Akers. I'm All like right. if I'm like if you're if your team you know uh, zero RB and I'm like that guy sitting there at the fifth sixth seventh round. I'm like I'm like you're you're gonna want to pounce on him. And so that's a it's a, it's an interesting scenario. Uh, I think if everyone kind of understands the the context, they'll feel a lot more comfortable about Acres. So I'll just dive in. So uh, you got Acres. He's drafted, you know, to be Gurley's or Todd Gurley's successor, and provide the Rams with an offensive weapon, just like Gurley, you know, that can make an impact as a runner, receiver, and who's also a willing blocker. Now, one thing with Acres is that the offensive line in uh, uh, at Florida State was, uh, we'll just say, less than ideal. <laughs> so. <All right. laughs> Well, we'll just put it that way. But, you know, Akers is like the third running back in Florida State history with multiple seasons with a thousand or more rushing yards. Now, the other two are Ward Dunn and, of course, the great Dalvin Cook. Not bad company to be, uh, you know, tied to. And I'm like, the guy ranks fifth all time in Florida State history, 586 rushing attempts. Again, think the girly parallels. You know, this is a bell cow workhorse, a man's man's running back, the guy that you want. I always like whenever I play an offensive line. And it was kind of back in the day before it was more of this committee nonsense where it's like, you know, you're, you're, you're in the huddle, you're looking at the guy, you're like, okay, this is my guy. I'm like, he's in here all three downs. It would always be disruptive when you'd have like another guy come in. It's like, oh, we got, we got, uh, we got Antonio in or, or, you know, Roger, whoever that person's name you know, is. You never hear about that. You never hear offensive linemen talk about that. Like having that, yeah. that other guy come in and kind of like maybe squash a rhythm or something, right? Is it, is it, was it that? Which did he have a different style that you kind of had to adjust to every time the the other guy came in? How did that? How did that yeah, mess you it, up? It, yeah, it didn't really like mess you up, but it's like you're when you're in the game and you're kind of in the trenches, and I'm like you you have the same eleven guys that that you know you're you're breaking the huddle. It's just yeah. part of the offenses that I played in. It wasn't a lot of like substitutions. Usually, it's like okay, someone got hurt or banged up, then we're going to bring someone else in. But it's just kind of that mindset of like. Hey, I'm going to battle like with my guys. Right. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> These are my guys. You know, we're you know we're leaving the line of scrimmage, going to the huddle, and, and coming out. It's just really disruptive for where you got guys coming in and out. But I'm sure players today are used to that. But uh, it's just something that's uh, maybe it's even kind of romanticized in a way about the about the workhorse back. And so, bottom line is, I think Acres, you know, could be that guy. I'm like, he's got the accolades of Florida State for for fantasy purposes. I'm like, you've got a guy that has a RB1 upside, and uh, I think that someone to even reach for, like in drafts, just considering the uh, supply and demand of a really viable uh, running backs. Now, we'll kind of put some real-world context to it. I'm like, he was the Rams' first selection of this year's draft. Uh, I think this suggests that Akers will see a steady dose of opportunities and, hey, and, and play a high number of snaps. So right. I think one thing that's interesting, like you look at like the Rams and like the Bills, I'm like they were the only teams that draft a running back on the second day of the draft in each of the last two years. And so that tells me, okay, we've got Daryl Henderson and we've got Malcolm, Malcolm Brown that's there. It's like I would take that as a sign. It's like the coaching staff isn't too confident like in my abilities if they're going to use their early pick the Rams have been, you know, dealing draft picks on right. Cam Akers. And so one thing with Jared Goff, I like the comments that, uh, that Emery had uh, about Goff uh, on, the, on the, one of the recent pods uh, from this week. And so you know, here's, here's the deal. It's, it's like, the Rams, whether you like it or not, the money that the Rams are paying Jared Goff, they're in bed with Jared Goff right now, yeah. whether they like it or not. Yeah, And so that's just something they're going to have to deal with. So for him to be successful, I'm like, he needs a strong running game. And the Rams offensive line struggled last season, which I think is kind of overblown to a degree because going back to our earlier conversation, Nando, like continuity on the line is really important. And so injuries negatively impacted that line. I'm like, you look at adjusted line yards at football outsiders. That's another great uh, metric to quantify I'll say the quality of offensive line play is that the Rams offensive line finished 19th uh, but they also the Rams finished 29th in open field yards and so when you pair those two things together without getting too analytical is that basically that suggests that LA was heavily dependent on its offensive line to make its running game work you get these guys back this year that are healthy you get it back in the backfield that's the, the caliber of acres yeah, like he's talented enough to transcend poor offensive line play. He showed that at Florida State. 
Uh, when you look at other metrics, I'm like, he accumulated a high number of yards after contact and broken tackles during his three-year career. I'm like, you could look at Sports Info Solutions to see that type of data or Pro Football Focus. I'm like, it's going to be hard, you know, for, um, you know, Sneed, you know, the GM, McVay, the head coach, to keep Akers off the field, just considering his draft capital. So, again, bringing all that together for everybody, when you look at all these different factors, people, not just one or two things, picking and choosing which ones you want, He's well positioned to outperform his ADP. So again, a guy I recommend you go aggressively target. Let me ask you. So uh, maybe Cam Akers is a bad example because again, he doesn't have a lot of NFL stats behind him. But yeah. let's say that let's say that you just had a I don't know like a good feeling because this happens to me. Say I got a good feeling about uh, I don't know, man. Just say Allen Robinson for an example All right. as a sleeper. Uh, say say like Allen Robinson this year as a sleeper because I saw three or four stats I liked. Um, and then I start digging and digging, and I just want to know if this is the same for you. And you find something, and you're like, "Oh crap, maybe I don't like him as much." And then you find another thing, you're like, "Ah, no, this is also very bad. I was wrong about Allen Robinson." The more I dig, does that happen to you often? And like, is that is that like just like because I know I, I use a lot of the stuff for my drafts, yeah, but also to write about or even to talk about on the podcast. And I've kind of invested this kind of brain mass and like time in a way in convincing myself that I'm going to like Allen Robinson as a sleeper. And I'm just using him as an example. I'm not actually looking at mm-hmm. him. But, okay. uh, but we can. Yeah, uh, no, but, I, I, yeah. I like the guy a lot. I'm like, you know that. <laughs> we can talk about him. <laughs> but are you, is, is this kind of like the sad trombone sounds when you, when you think you really like a guy as a sleeper, but you find a couple stats and you're like, oh, not as much. Because like you said, you've, you've mentioned this a couple times, like using stats to fit your narrative instead of looking at the whole picture. And it just made me think of like sometimes that happens, you know, that – it's so tempting to do it, and then I'm like, no, can't do it, man, because like these these two things, these three things are huge red flags for me, and that just not gonna happen. On to on to Golden Tate, I guess. Now that, that that's a good one. It's uh, uh we could talk about uh we could talk about uh, uh you know Alan Robinson, but uh, I, I I like where you were going, you know, with that. It's uh, I, I think it's a lot of people are constantly trying to find things that they that they don't like about a player or a reason like not to target them instead of trying to find reasons that that they should and it kind of just kind of goes to real life i'm like the same thing for nfl and fantasy it's like there's not players out there that don't have like warts or or different things that aren't uh we'll, we'll say like enticing i'm like you could you could look at it we'll even kind of pick on celebrities and like in like hollywood um i'm just thinking of like an actress that that everyone or a model that everyone likes. Okay, I just Kate Upton popped into my mind. So okay. we'll, we'll we'll say Kate Kate Upton. It's like obviously a lot of positives there, but there's probably like some negatives. But people tend to kind of not look at those. Same thing for our uh, female listeners or readers that are out there. If they're just like, you know what, you know Brad Pitt, I'm like that dude's a ten. But there's certain things with him, you know, that some females will say, you know what, that's less than desirable. But we're 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 gonna kind of slightly ignore those things. Again, I think Alan Robinson's a great example of that, which uh, we'll dive into him. Uh, you know, obviously time permitting, but one thing with him, one one thing with him that that's that's fascinating to me is that I, I love the guy's ADP. I'm like he's essentially like in the third or fourth round. Again, like McLaurin, I'm like you can get a you can get a wide receiver, a wide receiver one. I'm so high on Allen Robinson. Uh, I think the guy's got top eight potential. <laughs> That's how high I am on, on Robinson. Top eight overall or top eight wide receiver? Uh, wide receiver. Okay. Yeah, right. so he's, a, he's definitely on that Just wide receiver. Just making sure. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely. That's a good clarifying question. So it's, uh, you know, he's got that potential. So you know, he's coming off his second most productive fantasy season of his career. I'm like, he averaged nearly 10 targets, you know, six receptions, you know, 72 receiving yards, and nearly 104 air yards per game last year. I'm like, you look at, you know, his finishes. I'm like, he finishes a wide receiver two or better in 62% of his games. Now, when you look at both sides of the coin, I'm like, this guy was able to accomplish this with Mitch Trubisky. There you go. Going back to the other example, he ain't Kate Upton. (laughs) So uh, one thing with uh, Robinson, though, in all seriousness, he was um, particularly effective like in weeks 12 through 16. Uh, I'm like, he averaged like 132 air yards and like 20 you know, PPR fantasy points per game. I'm like, Trubisky was terrible. I think everyone would agree with that. I'm like, he averaged like 13.5 fantasy points per game last season. And you know, he ranked 30th like in true passer rating. Uh, you know, that metric we talked about. Uh, that it, it basically factors out like unpressured throwaways and drop passes. So the guy was terrible. 
So they brought in competition. You know, to yeah. be candid, I could care less whether Trubisky is motivated or not. And, you know, they brought in Nick Foles and, and that whole narrative. I, I could care less about that. The bottom line is that if Trubisky struggles and doesn't play well, you're going to have Foles come in to, to play much better. Well, you're, you're, you're saying Trubisky's going to start, you think? I think I think it's possible. Uh, right. Things are things are going to be are, are going to be changed. Obviously, it's not having preseason and just going into training camp. So it wouldn't surprise me. Like either way, I'm like if they go with Foles or Trubisky. But I, I think behind the scenes that it, it's not a, re, a really a way to quantify this, but it's that the Bears are going to have basically their best quarterback option in every game. They could pull Trubisky, Foles. You get in there and vice versa. And so I think that really helps Robinson because he's always going to have the best quarterback on the Bears roster throwing him the football. And I'm like, the, the, the guy has done a lot in his career with catching balls from Trubisky and Blake Bortles. So I just think he's in line for a really, really uh, special, se- a special season, a fantasy season as well. Uh, but it's, it, it's really key because at the price where you can get him. Again, price is everything. And so right. I think he's a great value. Do you, uh, do you believe in, in the Nagy offense? Is that something like – because I know like the first year – it was kind of like I remember reading this in a uh, I think it was a Matt Fishbane column. Is yeah. the first year he was coming from Kansas City, so he didn't have tape. They were watching tape of Kansas City players as he's trying to explain how to run this offense. Last year, I thought would have been the year. You know, they had a whole off season. They had film of the guys to see what they could do in his offense and what they did wrong, maybe what they did right. Mm-hmm. I thought that was going to be the year. Like that was going to be the year that the Nege offense takes off, and it didn't. And so now year three, like, is this kind of like the rubber match? Like, maybe he got his mulligan last year. Maybe something went wrong. Maybe he didn't have the quarterback he wanted. <laughs> this is the year where, like, this offensive genius who's taken over the Bears blows up. Because we've talked about Montgomery, and we've talked about Allen Robinson, and I'm sure we could bring in a Trick Cohen and a bunch of other guys who have the opportunity and the ceiling, like you say. Mm-hmm. Or is Nagy maybe just one of those guys who's better as an offensive coordinator than head coach? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think the thing that I look at a lot with that is uh, anytime you change, uh, you know, head coaches, offensive coordinators, you know, you change basically the offensive scheme. It, it does take uh, a couple of seasons to gel, but unfortunately, in the NFL, not all these coaches have uh, the longevity, we'll say, right. to to for players to really maximize their schemes. So. I do agree with you. You know, this could be the year that things come together, but it may not come together exactly as uh, as people may think, like on the surface for where it's like, oh, Nagy was with, uh, you know, with Andy Reid and, you know, Kelsey was a monster. So that, that definitely means Trey Burton you know, is going to go off. You know, That's that didn't it. happen. That didn't happen last year. It's like guys are looking at the personnel that they have and yeah. uh, what's going to make us successful. And really with that passing game, you're going to want that to run through, um, run through Allen Robinson, you know, uh, Anthony Miller is another guy that uh, that I like quite a bit that I mentioned in the uh, the most recent column at the Athletic. Uh, he ended up on a ton of teams that I mock drafted. I think what the connection with uh, Foles and his slot receiver is going to bode well, you know, for him. But I think the reality is Nagy's going to go with the uh, the players that are going to help his offense. And so I think Allen Robinson's going to get a high percentage of the targets. I think they're going to lean heavier on uh, David Montgomery and also uh, Tariq Cohen will have his opportunities. He's obviously not built to be a bell cow, but it's just like you just want to limit these guys, uh, you know, pass attempts uh, because, again, going back to, you know, the we'll, we'll just say Kate Upton and Brad Pitt, I'm like, these are ways that you can cover up their warts, so to speak, by not leaning <laughs> entirely right. on these guys. You don't, you don't want Nick Foles or Mr. Bisky with like 40 pass attempts a game. Right, like, right. You just don't want that. And if they are going to throw it, it's like, I'm going to throw it to the guy that's going to come down with the rock, and that's going to be Allen Robinson. It's like we kind of overcomplicate things more than what we, what we, what we need to at times, in my opinion. Well, it's, yeah, you know what? I, I kind of feel the same way, and I think for guys like us who look at it like that, it's almost an advantage uh, because people are passing up uh, these kind of like not simple choices, but, you mm-hmm. know, like I'm cool with just targets, receptions, stuff like that sometimes with a play like that. that that alone could tell me a story about a player. Sometimes yeah. you got to dive deep, but like you're right. Like it's it's it should be using a lot of this stuff to prop up what should be a simple answer. And sometimes it's not. Yeah. And sometimes you know, okay, I'll take him if you don't want him, right? 
Yeah, and it's uh, it, it's funny because like with uh, and I know uh, Renee, uh, you know, on our staff, I'm like, you know, she writes like a lot about this. It's like the the mental aspect of it, just with yeah. our perception of players, is uh, is key. One thing that I do to try to kind of divorce myself from that is I kind of look at it in different ways. I'm like, if I'm looking at this guy, you know, what, you know, what do I see? And then I'll just think about like a random other person. I'm like, if someone else that was not me was kind of looking at this situation, you know. How, how would they look at it? And then I would also just kind of take it to like another level. And I was just like, okay, if you take my thought process out of it and this other, uh, you know, guy or person that's in the room with me, and then if it was like a fly on the wall, like a third party, I try to think of someone that does not, you know, uh, watch or listen or, or play fantasy football. It's like if they sure. just kind of look at some facts, like what would that person think? And I think that's, that's helped me out uh, a ton with, kind of taking like any internal biases that I may have like on a certain player kind of out of the equation to kind of give me a, a really what I would feel like a sound view and opinion of the player. Nice. Um, on that note, that's Eric Moody, everybody. Say hello. Follow him on Twitter. He's awesome. And uh, we'll be doing this every Thursday until, uh, let's say, New Year's, I guess, for now. That's, that's an easy, well, assuming there's a season. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> Get used to it. Mark your calendars. Thursdays with Moody. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I, I'll get some more of the fun questions next week. It was just we were on a roll, and I didn't want to be like, hey, you know, favorite breakfast cereal. So, <laughs> Cinnamon Toast Crunch. No. <laughs> we got to keep you away from Jake. This is going to be dangerous. But yeah, I believe- we, 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 we are going to be dangerous. Jake and I have had some, uh, some conversations about that, the video game cereal, all that stuff. You're going to have to, you're going to have to rein us in on those. Yeah. Can't, can't wait. Look, usually I'm, uh, I'm the chaos cause or this hosting thing isn't as much fun as, uh, <laughs> as being the other guy. <laughs> uh, so I, I hope you, everybody enjoyed the show. Like we have like, seriously, Eric sent me a list of a lot of guys. So we got next week's rundown pretty much ready to go. We can, <laughs> we can do some Devonte Parker, AJ green, Antonio Gandy, golden. Uh, we can get into Josh Kelly and some of these rookie running backs, this is going to be a very rich, good, enjoyable, exciting, smart show. Uh, and Eric, I'm excited that we're doing it, man. Like this is like this is great. I'm happy that I'm happy that you're here. Oh no, very uh, you know very excited and I'm happy to be here. We're going to have a a great season. I know it. Shout out to Derek Van Riper who did not send me any notes uh, or corrections. Uh, he's producing silently in the background. So anyway, until next week. For us, at least, the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast keeps rolling along every day this week. But for Eric and I, we'll see you next Thursday. Thank you all for joining. We hope you enjoyed this. We hope you learned something. I can't see how you wouldn't have if you listened. Eric, I'll see you next week, buddy. Sounds good, my friend. Until next time. Until next time. We'll see you later. Goodbye. Goodbye.